You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Devoted Podcast. So glad you guys are here. Boy, I tell you, just in the last month or two, I feel like the podcast has just grown and grown and grown, and I'm really terrible at analytics and actually being able to see how many listeners are out there. I don't even know how to track stuff. Guys, you even knew how not good at that stuff I am. It's quite appalling. But you know what? At the same time, I'm like, it doesn't really matter if we've got five or 5,000 or 10,000 or, you know, however many it is. I always just love that the Lord cares about the one, you know? And so there could be sometimes I think that there's stuff that the Lord puts on our hearts to share. And I'm not just talking about me right here. I'm talking about anybody that the Lord might just tap on your shoulder and be like, ooh, text that person, write that card, do that, you know, and how the Lord uses it, because the Lord knows the one. So I always love that. And I know we're probably a little atypical when it comes to podcasts in that way, because most things that you're listening to or whatever, you know, it's, it's you know, how how big it gets and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I don't know, I'm just not I'm just not good at that stuff. But I don't ever want my own limitations and the things that I'm not good at to hinder how the word would get out. And I do love how, man, his word's getting out. And that has just been a fantastic thing to be a part of. It's been so great to see women, you know, because that's that's my that's my lane, seeing what you gals are doing and seeing how many people are just turning to the word in a deeper way than maybe they had in the past. And and so I am thrilled that the podcast gets to be a part of that. So if you have enjoyed the podcast, if you've been getting some stuff out of the podcast, then please share it, uh, subscribe it, send it to someone who might need a word of encouragement. And and that's always weird for me to say, because it's like, I if I had to go back and listen to my own voice over and over, I would be like, ugh, yuck. But I want the word to get out. I really want women to turn to the pages of their own Bibles and um, anything that we can do to encourage in that vein, I want to be a part of. So do that. Do that. However, you could encourage someone personally in your own friendship circles and in your own family to turn to the word, or maybe it is easier just to share a podcast with someone than do that. I love how the Lord uses so many things, and he does use the weak and the foolish, and that's that's pretty amazing to be a part of. So today I'm going to look at a chapter. I'm not going to look at the whole chapter because you're like, wow, this would be a really long podcast because I do talk a long time sometimes. I want to look at Romans 8. Boy, you ever have one of those times where you're reading the Word and you get through a chapter and you kind of don't know what not to highlight? That was kind of Romans 8 for me recently. It was one of these chapters that I was actually studying in a different section, and I wanted to get some context. You know how I, I talk to you guys about if you're if you're studying something, go ahead and read, you know, three chapters before and three chapters after, you know, just to get some a full context of, of what they're talking about there, because that can change things. It's, it's a mistake to look at the study of Scripture and pluck a particular passage and not view it within the full context of what it's really talking about there. So I was doing that. I was actually studying somewhere else in Romans, and I decided to 
back up the train and go back to Romans 8. And man, I got through Romans 8 and I went, uh, how come I have not memorized <laughs> this entire chapter? So that might be a challenge I have for myself is to actually memorize most of Romans 8 because it is a powerful chapter. I don't typically give homework per se when we talk podcast, but I would really, really encourage you. I'm going to just select a, one particular verse and, and you know, a couple others are going to come in there too. But I would really encourage you to go and read Romans 8. Read the whole thing. While you're at it, you might just enjoy reading all of Romans. But Romans 8 is just a really powerful chapter. So I just kind of want to marinate in that a little bit with you guys. This is another one. I, I think it, the last podcast, or I don't know when it when it dropped, I told you it was just a, doing a little off the cuff. And I just wanted to kind of look at, I think we looked at prayer that time. Today, I want to look at Romans 8 and specifically Romans 8.28. Very popular passage in scripture. I bet you there is a lot of non-Christians out there that know this particular verse. And Romans 8, 28, just to remind you of what it says. And I I looked it up in I, any major translation, but I'll read it to you in the English Standard Version, which is the ES, ESV is typically the version that I use here on the podcast. But it says in Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And we know for, I'm going to read it again, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It's an amazing verse, right? I read a quote that said this, this particular verse, they said, quote, is the pillow on which we rest our weary heads. I don't know who originally said that. But the pillow on which we rest our weary heads. And I think that that's true a lot of times. You know, we, we read this verse and maybe if you're reading it, perhaps without some context, you're going to read that and go, see, all things work together for good. Everything works together for good. True. But I want to pause and break this down a little bit because sometimes the good looks a little bit differently than perhaps the world defines it. This is probably not a proper good Bible study technique. So please don't go, oh, Amy's telling me something, you know, new technique that's really profound. No, I'm not. But I just wanted to look at this particular verse and actually go backwards with it. So the first part of this now, again, we're talking about that God causes everything to work together for good for those who are loved and called according to his purpose. OK, so the first part I want to look at is the called according to his purpose, because that's that's the kind of the exclusion right? It's saying who this is talking about. And it says that all of those things that we read, the, the good things, that so we'll get to those, that it's written to the called according to his purpose. What does that look like? What does it look like to be called according to his purpose? Sometimes when we think of what God's purpose is, we might also think about what is according to his will. Skip ahead a couple chapters in Romans and you get yourself into Romans 12 Two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is his will? What is his purpose? Now, generally, over overall, we've talked about before how, you know, our purpose at its very core is to bring glory to our creator. We are created for his pleasure, it tells us in Revelation. And that is is something you can just kind of fall back. And now sometimes people hear that and they're like, well, that sounds really Christian-y. Like, you know, oh, you're just made to, you know, created for God's purpose and his glory. That that sounds so fancy. But do we really think about what that would look like? 
I think we've talked about this probably on the podcast before, but it's such a central core thing to talk about when you think about what is our purpose. What is your purpose at work? Just just in your general everyday thing, the things that you're supposed to be doing. Is it just to get the job done? Is it just to get the task list finished? Or what's your job as a mom or a wife? There's prescriptives that we can look at in scripture that can say what my purpose is. And there are roles within those things and, and jobs and tasks in which we do. And you know, we do get through those. But our purpose when we're called according to his purpose, it needs to be lined up with what our our purpose needs to be lined up with what his purpose is, which centrally we know is just to bring God glory. But I love even that word called, you know, how, how do we know if we've been called to that? Perhaps getting into a little bit of a Calvinistic and Arminian debate, which I'm not going to do, but being called just meaning have you have you accepted that you are living according to his purpose? Right? Have you just made that basic Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 where you have accepted and you have spoken with your mouth that you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again, and that you believe that in your heart? It's that's the beautiful thing that we have so that we have that is the gospel. That is our salvation. That's you're called. If you're you're one of those, if you're called to his purpose, you've done that. So that's that's central right there. So that's kind of what I wanted to start work backwards because I think that's important because that's who we're talking about. When we are talking about the verse that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, you got to keep in mind this isn't talking to the person that is lost still. This isn't talking to the person that has not confessed that Jesus is Lord. It's not talking to that person. This is talking to those that are called according to his purpose. The second thing in that verse, as you read it backwards, is to love God. It says, I know, since I'm going backwards, it's why I feel like I need to keep reading the verse so you know where I get my train of thought. But at the same time, we'll probably have this verse memorized by the time we're done with this. And we know that for those who love God, there it is, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So there's that first phrase. It says, and we know that for those that love God. That's our next narrowing in of who we're talking about, those who are called according to his purpose and those who love God. And that one is another one. It's just one of those central core things of our faith. And for us as as human beings, do we love God? The first and greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And that's a tall order sometimes. It shouldn't be because if anyone was, boy, easy to love, it would be God because he's perfect. But sometimes we struggle with that. And and where I'm saying the struggle is that sometimes we love because to, to truly love something is to be unconditionally even devoted to that. Now, those two words tie in things that would imply that we would be submitted to and we would be absolutely obedient to, that we would put aside our own flesh and the things that are, you know, of our sin nature because we want to love God. There's a lot of things that I think how we're loving God or if we're a loving God that get answered in that. That we can kind of see how we're doing on different things or maybe even a decision you're trying to figure out, should I do this or should I do that? Can you look at it through this lens of like what Romans 12, 2 said, where you're discerning what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And as you're trying to discern that, it will always have loving God first, right? It'll have that you are putting that we are 
submitting to and his authority and walking with him, that we're putting that first and in, in foremost in our minds. It's just a key in how we discern what God's will is, what his purpose is, all those things. So those two kind of go together. And then the last part of the verse, which is actually the first part of the verse, is the one that says, for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things work together for good. Now, this is the phrase that everybody loves. They love to hear the, the all things, and they love to hear that it works together for good. Like that quote said, it's the comforting pillow that we rest our weary heads, for sure. We like that. However, I would imagine you've lived a lot, enough life, or if you haven't, it's coming, where you're going to find that it, you'll go, huh, are, are we sure all things work together? Because this situation that I find myself in, it doesn't necessarily feel very good. It doesn't feel very good. And I think that is kind of where we get stuck sometimes. I think sometimes in defining our terms, right? What does good mean? Does good mean that it's always a happy, blissful feeling? Does it mean that it's not going to be, it'll it, that it's the absence of pain or suffering? Is that what good means? Because, you know, you have to really evaluate that. If you stuck that out there for the world to say, is this situation good, but it included a cancer diagnosis? Well, you're gonna go, well, no, that's clearly not good. But I also have known dear friends that have walked through cancer and boy, they can tell you all kinds of good that they saw in the Lord. That's why this is important to see that this is for those that are called according to his purpose, for those that love God, all things work together for good. Because you're going to notice, we're going to talk about a couple examples where the good is not necessarily something that we, our sensibilities are going to love. We're not going to always think that the good is exactly how we had thought it should look like. Maybe it didn't happen in the timing it, we thought it should be. Or maybe if it did happen at the time, maybe just the outcome was completely not what we wanted. I want to give you a couple examples from the Bible. I want to look at Genesis 50, the whole story of Joseph, really. But I want to key in on a couple of verses that Joseph says at the end of his life. Because Joseph, if you remember the story in Genesis, he things did probably not go initially the way he wanted, right? He had these dreams and these visions when he was younger and he was out with his brothers and he saw this vision where his where his brothers were bowing down to him and like, wow. I mean, as a kid, he was probably like, this is this is great. This is going to be awesome. But then he finds himself, you know, a chapter or so later actually being sold in slavery down to Egypt. And then a little, another chapter later, he finds himself in a prison cell. Before that, he he was a servant with someone and, and falsely accused and that wasn't going well. And then he finds himself in jail, kind of forgotten. But you know how the story ends for Joseph, right? And you know that he is remembered finally, and uh, he is brought out and he ends up being being put the most powerful man next to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And the Lord had an, an amazing plan. We don't have time to look at all those things, but so I'm kind of giving you the Cliff Notes version there. That's a lot of so-called good in that story of Joseph that I don't think he felt was very good. But listen to what Joseph tells his brothers towards the end of his life, because this is after his father had died and, and the brothers are super nervous because the brothers were the ones that sold him into slavery. So they're they're pretty sure that, you know, our brother is probably now going to turn against us. 
because of what we did, that we all the terrible things like we're the reason he was put into slavery. We were the reason he ended up in jail and all these things. But listen to this, what he says in Genesis 50, starting in verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. He said, say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. Now, this is the part. So there, there's the background there. That's the the brothers being really nervous of there was a whole lot of bad that happened in your life that we were responsible for. That's how they're viewing it, that, it, that this is what they had done. But in verse 19 of Genesis 50, it says, but Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? He asks, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I love that story because as you, you know, if you ever spend some time and really study the life of Joseph, you're going to have probably far more chapters and words given to the hardship and the pain that Joseph really went to. The separation. I mean, he was away from his father and, you know, his brothers had turned on him. How lonely that must have felt. I mean, I always find that there's so much in the pages of scripture that you actually don't see in black and white. You know, uh, the it, it's it's years and years that are represented in those few chapters in 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 Joseph or in Joseph's life in Genesis. It, it, but it you read it pretty quickly. But how long that must have felt for him to actually go through that season. I mean, actually be stuck in a cart where you're sold and driving down to Egypt. We just read over that like, oh, it just happened and it was done. But remember, these are real people. This is a real historical situation that happened, real people that lived through this. So they felt pain in this. This was hard. This wasn't just a nice Bible story. It was really hard. And yet at the end of his life, well, end of Joseph's father's life. But, you know, towards the end of the story, Joseph is is telling him, and even the Joseph's heart, like the work that had been done in his heart, he he weeps when they speak to him this way, thinking, you know, that they're afraid of him. That isn't what Joseph wants, because he says, do not fear. He's like, am I God? Meaning, hey, God knew all of this. There's a lot being said right in that verse, right? When he says there, do not fear for am I in the place of God? Boy, that's a powerful thing to recognize when you've been through a season of a lot of hardship. We sometimes like to flip that and go, hey, what's going on? This isn't the way that this should be working out. Remember Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good, right? But Joseph gets it, especially in this moment, he gets it. And he says, am I in the place of God? Meaning God orchestrated, God knew all of this. God is sovereign and he put all this in place. He was even taking the responsibility off of his brother's evil, terrible choices and saying, this was put in place by God. Because like he said, you meant evil for me, but he said, God meant it for good. This is where one of the many ways that I get completely geeked out and I love scripture so much because here you have this this passage and this story in Genesis, and then you get what Paul says in Romans 8.28. And, and don't you just see how the, the two just go together so beautifully, don't they? The good does come 
the, that God does work all things for the good. But it's a great illustration and a way longer life for Joseph and a whole lot more experience that that good did not always feel good. The good can really, really hurt. And that is just something that just makes our world short circuit, right? They don't get that. If, if something's hard, then it must be bad. It must be wrong. But that's why, again, Romans 8.28 is not for the world, right? This is, a, this is a verse that for those that love God, that are called according to his purpose. So that's who we're talking about. So the, the word good is going to mean something to the Christian. It's going to mean something different than it's going to mean to the person who just thinks that if their life's going along rosy, then everything, you know, it's all going to be good. I think in biblical terms, good means so much more. It's so much more than a happy feeling. It's life-saving in a lot of ways, as it was for Joseph and his family. That good that God put in place so that Joseph would be in charge to save so many people, his family, but so many others, right? Because of him being placed in the position that he was put in Egypt. I'm sure many of us have those circumstances we can think back on and think, boy, that is not the way I would have wanted that to go. And we've talked about this before on the podcast, but it's so appropriate to this particular passage in my own life. Because back in 2016, when I get that call at one or two in the morning, whenever it was that my dad had had a heart attack, you instantly, immediately start praying for healing and that everything's going to be okay. And, and, and you're praying, you know, you're praying and praying and praying for healing and for the outcome that you desire. The outcome that, you know, the all things that are going to work together, that that's going to mean what my definition of that was going to mean at that time was that, you know, I was planning on seeing my dad a week from then for a family vacation and that he was going to be fine and better and, you know, whew, close call, but man, so glad that you're okay, dad. That, that's what that situation looked like for me in that moment so many years ago. But as the day, you know, the couple days that would go on from there, and I lost my dad three days after that, at the time, you think, oh, wait, 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 this, is, this was the answer to my prayer? Because remember, when we've talked about, uh, talked about prayer before, the Lord answers our prayer. Absolutely every time, the Lord answers our prayers. But he does not always answer our prayers in the way that we think that he should answer our prayers. And that can be hard in that moment to recognize that this is for the good. Lord, I love you. And Lord, I, I am of the called according to your purpose. But this doesn't feel good. But did you hear the word that I said right before good there? I said feel. Feel. Our feelings are, man, they're such a, they're, they're so deceiving, they tell us that if something doesn't feel a certain way, then that clearly must be the wrong path. And don't get me wrong. I do think our feelings are there sometimes. The Lord even can use them to put a check and, and use them effectively. But our feelings should not be the thing that leads us, you know? So I come back to this verse and I think in my own situation, for all things work together for the good for those that are called according to his purpose. And for those of you guys who have heard my story with my dad before, we were incredibly close. And I, you know, still to this day, love and miss my dad so much. Cannot wait to see him again. And yet I think of all 
the truth of this very verse. Because all things work together for the good, for those that are called. I, I, I cannot tell you probably of any other verse when I think of my dad passing away. This is the one that I just go, oh, Lord, you are so good. Because there was nothing but win in my dad getting to go to heaven, you know? Oh, what a glorious day for him. So big win for him, right? He gets to be with his Savior, who he desired to be with his whole life. Huge win for him. But then you think, oh, but wait, what? where's the good for, because we are the ones that are here still. If you've gone through loss, if you've gone through losing someone very close to you, or even maybe not a loss, but just something that is not the way you thought it was going to work out, and you're left going, this is still not feeling good. What is this? I want to just encourage you to hang on. Because I don't know that I saw that good. <laughs> I didn't see it right away. But I, man, looking back in the last few years, the good, the good, the good, the good. The Lord daily keeps bringing the good. And all the things that he has worked together for the good and to be real, because of a really difficult loss that I went through. It changed me and brought me near to the Lord in a way that I do not think would have been possible in any other way. One of the ways, and I'll try not to sidetrack too much on this because this could turn into a whole other podcast, but one of the ways that this good looked in my life was I love the things in Scripture where it points to God is our Heavenly Father. And we know our head knowledge, you know, it, it knows that what that picture should look like in its perfect, most beautiful sense. You know, a father that loves us, that takes care of us, that feeds us, comforts, protects us, all those things. And we could see those. Like when you look at the passages about Jesus being the good shepherd, or you read um, even Psalm 23, you know, there's that protective element, there's that comfort, there's that rest element. And it's all in the background from our heavenly father. We know that he has that picture of being God the father. And what losing my dad did is I went, huh, I have been able to see an earthly example of what a good dad, how they take care of their kids, how they comfort, how they discipline. Yeah, discipline. How they love them and protect them and take care of them and all of those things. And my dad was a sinner. He was human. He was just like us, right? And he messed up. But I was able to see all these, all these ways in which he had fulfilled that role for me. And yet, that is just an imperfect picture, right? Because he was human. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I was able to feel that in, in some tangible way while he was here, what that relationship should look like. But then the Lord said, my dad was going to go be with him and not here with me down here. And I think while the difficulty of that, obviously, because everybody wants, wants the, the one that they love to be able to actually touch them, you know, they want to have them right there. But the good that the Lord showed me, and I couldn't tell you exactly how long it took after this time, because I spent a good season grieving for sure. But I got this picture of, you know, all those ways as tangible and great as they were, but also as fallible as they were, because humans are, they don't do things perfectly. And how amazing that relationship was. But 
what does it look like with your heavenly father who is perfect and doesn't sin and always protects us exactly the way we're supposed to be protected and always loves us exactly how we need to be loved. He does everything that a dad should do, but doesn't ever mess up. I mean, it's perfect. And I felt like I had had such a great, like, you know, tangible, earthly example of what that should look like. And I loved that. But then getting to see, to have that lens taken away, like physically taken away, but knowing that the heavenly father, that example had not gone anywhere and how much more it was. It really was that all things work together for the good. I could not have seen that in that way if I still had my dad here with me. I couldn't have seen that. And the blessing of discovering who God is as our Heavenly Father in that way has been just an unbelievable blessing in my life. I also know that for some, they hear stories like this. And sometimes in the past, I've even been very, I don't always want to share stories about my dad because I'll be like, man, not everybody had an earthly dad like that. And and that can be hard. Some people's relationships with their earthly dads has been painful and hard. But even in those, I feel like what the Lord has shown me about who he is, that is relatable and specific to every single person. Because that completeness, all those, all the best and perfect qualities of our Heavenly Father is not limited just to those that maybe had a good relationship with their earthly dad. Nope. That one goes for everyone. And so we all need to have those blinders taken off of whether we've had good dads or bad dads or whatever it is, but we have a Heavenly Father that is just perfect. That has been the good for me in so many ways, that in a situation where I prayed and prayed and prayed that the Lord would answer my request one way with healing of my dad, that he would still be here and see his grandkids. And, you know, it would just be the the life that I thought it would be today. The Lord had something so much better, so much better for my dad. Yes, of course, that's the no duh, right? You know, he's in heaven worshiping the Lord. But he had the good for me here too, as only the God who is perfect can do. To this day, even as I say that and kind of retell some of that to you guys, it just kind of takes my breath away how much the Lord has loved me with his perfect heavenly father kind of love through the last six or so years. I've never been without a father's love, even with my earthly dad not here. It's amazing to me. And it makes me feel glad you can't see me in my closet right now because my it's definitely a little teary on that one, but the Lord loves us just so perfectly and it's all good. It's all good. It's just not the definition of good that we think it is. If you back up in Romans 8, it kind of, t- it gives some clarity to sometimes that good looks a little different. Um, Romans eight seventeen, well, actually back up to 16. It says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And then here's what he says, provided that we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Anybody comfortable with the word suffering? Not really. We don't really love the word suffer. 
And like I said, everything that we turn to in our day is is take away the pain. You know, sometimes we take that to extremes. If, you know, an addictive behavior with addiction, with painkillers and things like that, it's to the extreme, right? And the purpose, numb the pain. We don't want to feel pain because in our sin and in our flesh and really our world just reinforces this, reinforces this to be in pain and to suffer is the worst possible thing. You need to take that away. So isn't it interesting that actually the Bible says the opposite? It says, no, actually, there will be suffering. And it says, provided even that we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. That's very contrary to what the world says. But so Romans 8, 17 says that we'll suffer. Romans 8, 22, it says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so we had suffering and now we have this word groaning. <laughs> we don't really love to suffer. And if you're groaning, this is like the worst possible, right? You were, you don't even, you can't even articulate the pain is what I think about when I think of that you're groaning inwardly. You don't even know what to do with it. You don't even have vocabulary. You don't have words for the pain that you're going through. But again, the Bible is saying that this is okay. Remember 8.17 said, provided that we suffer, as if this is actually something you look forward to. You're going to do this. Peter also backs this up. First Peter 2.21 says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. There's the suffering thing again. Christ suffered. It's an example to us. And if you're ever wondering, like, well, how bad could suffering really get? Well, if you're going to look at the example that Christ gave us, as bad as it could possibly get. And his suffering wasn't just that inward groaning. I think it was that. You can see that inward groaning, perhaps, in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying, you know, may this cup pass from me. But then what does he say? He says, not my will, but yours be done. He was always submitted to what the Father's will was. But his suffering was definitely inward, as you can see there, but of course you can see it physically even. And there was no painkiller for that. He suffered, and that's the example we have. Now you're noticing a trend here, right? These are things that are very opposite to how we think about how we conduct ourselves. Even, man, we think even if we do a tough workout, we don't even want to, to, you know, grit through that because it hurts, right? We don't want to be in pain. We want to do something different. And so we avoid those things that cause us discomfort. But that's a little bit different than what scripture tells us. Now, I'm not telling you guys to all go be gluttons for punishment and not use common sense and inflict pain on yourself in any way. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm trying to draw a contrast between what the world tells us to avoid at all costs and what scripture really doesn't say that. And in fact, it says that there will be suffering. There will be groaning. You will go through pain. But you got to, I'm, we got to keep this picture in mind because we're going to keep coming back to the Romans 8.28, that all things work together for the good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we know who we're talking to. We just, it would seem that the word good, as the Bible defines it, looks a little different than how our world and maybe even our flesh wants to define it, right? Because we don't want to, we don't want to have pain. We don't want to have suffering. 
but that's not what scripture tells us. John 16, J- Jesus says this as plainly as he can, right? In John 16, he says, I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace, which is such a comfort right there. But then he says, he reminds me, reminds me, reminds you in the world, you will have tribulation. So there it is. Spoiler right there. You are going to have trouble. You're going to have a really bad day. That's what he's saying. In this world, you will have tribulation. But he doesn't leave us there. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I love that he gives us that last piece because where does it take the focus back to? It takes the focus back to Jesus. I have overcome the world. It takes it off of ourself. It takes us off of the tribulation, the groaning, the suffering, the pain, the hurt, and fills in the next two lines with take heart, I have overcome the world. It puts the focus back on him, which is always where our focus needs to be. That's a trick to do when you're going through either a a season of loss or a, a grieving season, or you're going through even physical disease or hardship of some kind or any kind of pain. It's really easy to just focus in on the pain. It's just easy to focus on really how terrible this whole situation is. It's real easy to focus just on the diagnosis. And those, those things are, you know, they inform us, the suffering, the pain, the things that we're going through, they, they inf- it maybe inform what our days look like, perhaps. But Jesus, I think that John 16, that's such a great model that he says, yep, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have the bad day. You're going to have disease. You're going to have cancer. You're going to have a loss. You're going to have those things. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Shift the focus off of the tribulation and the hardship and the awful thing and put it back on Jesus and focus in on him. I feel like I've been blessed in order to see the good that work together in losing my dad, because for sure, to this point in my life, that's been the most difficult thing I've had to go through. I'm sure it won't be the last, but it was definitely the most difficult thing I had gone through up until that time. But sometimes you don't always get to see the good this side of heaven. There have been other things that have happened in my life that have been traumatic and there have been, and I'm sure yours too. And you might just still kind of scratch your head and go, yeah, I'm not seeing it. I am not seeing the good that you're talking about, Amy. And the thing is, is I would say if that's you and if it's not, it probably will be at some point, there's just going to be something that you prayed for and the Lord just answered in a way you didn't anticipate. And you just might not see how it worked for the good. But this is where we take again, we, we take the focus off of our situation and ourself and maybe the hurt and the pain and all of the things that went with it. And we focus in on Jesus. We focus in on the one that we do trust in these situations. We trust him in all things. We trust him in the good things and in the bad things. And this is where you just trust that Romans 8.28 is absolutely 100% true. Maybe you'll get to see that good and you'll get to understand it maybe now, maybe five years from now, but also maybe never, maybe not until we're in heaven someday and we get to ask the Lord that question. Why was that? But God's word is so true. It is always, always true. And you can count on the fact that all things work together for the good. I love this. There's a couple verses that always get thrown around with these, with Romans 8, 28, also, we talked about Joseph, just but another example that I think you could see the famous verse in Jeremiah 29, 11, when he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare for not for evil, 
to give you a future and a hope. Great verse. Everybody knows it. But what's the context of that? The context is Jeremiah talking to the people that were going to go into exile for 70 years. He's talking about their future hope, but they were not going to feel those good days for about 70 years. Some of them wouldn't live to see those days. They wouldn't actually live in this life to know and experience this good, this plan of welfare and not for evil. They weren't going to see that. But it was absolutely true. He did have plans. And then you got to see that as you read the account of Scripture and you see how the, how the Jewish people returned to their land. It did happen. The Lord was working for good for those that were called according to his purpose, for those that love God. But they didn't always get to see that right there. Sometimes we need a reminder that we're just not as, as smart as we think we are. <laughs> and I know that sounds like a no-duh, but it, it, sometimes, yeah, I just think that, no, I, I know how this should work out and this would be good. But Isaiah 55 comes along and, and reminds us, it says in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are, as, are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. His thoughts are so much bigger, so much more than ours in every possible way. I think that means even the amount of his thoughts, how much he actually thinks about you and how much he thinks about me, but also just the, the capacity for where he sees, where he knows things should go. He has all of that in his hands. And yeah, it is kind of funny when we as humans, the creation, tell the creator, well, did you think about this? Because this might be a better way of having this work out. That sounds ridiculous, right? And we know that when we say that out loud, that does sound really silly. But we still kind of think it sometimes. We still kind of think that the way that we might work something out that really, you know, God should, God should take a tip from us. Sounds really crazy, right? He is the one that created us and his thoughts are so much more than ours. As high, and, and he gives us that picture for as the heavens are higher than the earth. That's pretty much, you know, as high as we can go. That is what his ways and his thoughts are. Another passage in Isaiah that I just love is Isaiah 41.10, when it says, fear not for I am with you and do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This verse is particularly impactful for me, and I, and I, I guess I'll go ahead and go here since we've already been talking about dad. Hopefully none of y'all are crying because I, I might have teared up a little bit. But after my dad died, my mom was out in the garage, and my dad always had worked on a bunch of stuff on his workbench, and he loved to spend time out on his workbench. He was he was a little bit of an introvert, so he, he was really great at just being left out in his garage to kind of tinker with stuff and all the things he was doing. And she went out there to kind of clean up some stuff. And out there, he had this, I'm not even real sure what it was, but it was kind of like a frame, but he had just written on a piece of paper and it had stuck it on his workbench and it was it was kind of tacked onto this frame. It was not decorator correct by any means. It was, you know, not pretty. But he had written in his handwriting this verse. He wrote Isaiah 41:10, "Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." And that was written in my dad's handwriting. And I remember when my mom told me this, because, you know, she goes out to her garage. My dad had not been gone that long, obviously missing him, grieving 
all of the things. And she sees that written in his hand. And it just was, it was one of those moments where I felt like the Lord just was reminding my mom, and he was reminding me (laughs) as she told me the story, but reminding us that we don't have to be afraid. In this pain, in this, all this stuff that hurts, we don't have to be afraid that while dad's not with us, God is with us. We don't need to be dismayed for he is our God. And in these days that would be coming, that would be hard and you'd be cleaning out garages and boxes and moving and all of the things that, would, that the Lord knew were ahead for my mom. He was saying, I'm going to strengthen you. I am going to uphold you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And that righteous piece right there, that's that reminder again to me of like, if dad had been there, dad would have helped out. Dad would have helped out with his strong right hand, right? But my dad was human. He, he, his hand was not the righteous right hand of God. But God was going to be there for all of these days to uphold with his righteous, perfect, holy, righteous right hand. I don't know where all of that hits you guys, where you're at right now, but I want to encourage you to take a different look at what the good is sometimes, because the good might look vastly different than what you had hoped or, uh, you know, maybe even anything that you had ever dreamed it might have looked like. It might look real different from that, but trust the one whose thoughts are higher than the heavens, that are bigger than anything you know. Trust the one that is the perfect, loving, heavenly father that is always going to perfectly care, love you, protect you, comfort you, and never leave you. Always uphold you and strengthen you. I'm going to finish with one last verse in a couple verses in Romans to finish this off because, again, go read Romans 8, guys, because it is that amazing. But this is just a really awesome reminder to us. Romans 8, 37 through 39 says, in all these things, so go ahead and all, I always love, Pastor Brett says, all in the Greek means all, all these things, we are more than conquerors. But then it doesn't say through us or that our plans or our ideas or what we think we got going. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? That is the for the good. Nothing can separate us from the love that he has for us. So whether you understand your situation today, or maybe you'll get it later, maybe you never get to know this side of heaven, what what that good actually look like. Trust the one that is designing all of this, that is holding you and strengthening you, and nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. So don't forget your homework assignment. Go read Romans 8. You're going to love it. Maybe you can we can keep each other accountable and see how we're doing memorizing Romans 8 because I'm serious. I think I really, I think that's something we should do. So go read Romans 8. If this has encouraged you, share this with somebody who might need to hear it today. We'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of AV Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at apcreek.com.